I'll be reading from Ezekiel 39, verses 1 through 8, out of the NIV. Son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and drag you along. I will bring you from the far north and send you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel you will fall, you and all your troops and the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and to the wild animals. You will fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in safety in the coastlands, and they will know that I am the Lord. I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profaned, and the nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One in Israel. It is coming. It will surely take place, declares the Sovereign Lord. This is the day I have spoken of. You know, vacations are about getting away. And, and when I get away like that, I uh, kind of lose track of the news. And, and I think that's a lot of the purpose of vacation. You know, n- no regular routine at all. And we don't see the news a lot. And I rarely get on the Internet or any of that on vacation. So just kind of disconnect. And, and that's the purpose, to just disconnect and to um, relax. Um, but I don't really have to worry about it because I... As I read scripture, I see the news um, of today really taking place and being predicted in scripture. And sometimes I think Ezekiel may be more accurate than some of the, the news networks are um, today anyway. But I want to share with you from Ezekiel, and if you want to turn there to Ezekiel 38, just want to share um, in a little more detail maybe than I have in the past from Ezekiel 38 and 39, um, what he told us 2,500 years ago or so, was going to happen and what I think we see taking place um, before our very eyes now. Ezekiel lived in Babylon, which uh, that was ancient Iraq, uh, or what is Iraq now, more than about 2,500 years ago. And God gave him a vision of events that would take place in the future. And a lot of it is incredibly specific. And um, we, as I said, see it taking place. In Ezekiel uh, 36 to 39, those chapters are really important in terms of describing end time events. Um, I think these are the end times. I don't know how much longer things will go on without God's intervention. I think the Apostle Paul probably thought Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. So a lot of people have thought these are the end times. But just as you look around, it, it certainly all seems to be pointing in that direction. Ezekiel 36 and 37 are really important in kind of setting the stage for what he talks about later. Um, Because those chapters describe Israel, the people of Israel, Jewish people returning back to the land of Israel and and the nation of Israel being reborn. And you know that that occurred in 1948 and and continues to occur as, as Jews continue to go back to Israel. Then chapters 38 and 39 just the, the huge overview of what's said in those two chapters is that a huge war breaks out. There's a massive army that invades Israel, the, a coalition of nations that get together in the far north and come down and in, invade Israel. And just when it appears that everything is lost, that there's absolutely no way that Israel is going to survive that, God intervenes. 
those other nations are defeated in Israel as well as the world recognize that God is almighty and that he is indeed in charge. So that's uh, the, the massive overview of what's, uh, what's said in these chapters. Let me call time out and just talk about um, current events for just a second. And I got this from the Jerusalem Post, who got it from the Iranian um, media. Now, I'll say straight up, I don't know that we, can attr- that we can trust anything coming out of Iran. Okay, That's where President Ahmadinejad lives. Um, Ahmadinejad. If his lips are moving, I don't believe what he's saying, you know, basically. But they are reporting this, and it's very interesting in light of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And as I saw this before I left on vacation, and uh, just wanted to bring it to your attention. And this is what was being reported from the Jerusalem Post. It says, Iran, Russia, China, and Syria will hold the Middle East's largest ever war games. Iranian, the Iranian news outlet reported, uh, according to the report, 90,000 troops, 400 warplanes, and 1,000 tanks from the four countries will take part in land and sea exercises. The war games feature Russian atomic submarines, as well as warships, aircraft carriers, and mine-clearing destroyers. The semi-official, this cracks me up, the semi-official Iranian FARS news agency stated that the exercise was being planned in coordination with Egypt, which recently allowed passage of 12 Chinese warships through the Suez Canal. The report stated that the Chinese naval convoy is due to dock in Syrian harbors within the next two weeks. Um, If you've been seeing the news at all, you know that Syria is a mess, um, that there's basically civil war going on, that the government has killed thousands of people there um, trying to put down what they see as a rebellion. Also very, very interesting, um, Vladimir Putin was just elected the president of Russia, and he had visited Israel back in 2005, was the only Russian president that had ever visited Israel. He was there again last week. Just very, very soon after his election, he went to Israel. Um, president Obama's not been there at all during his term. Vladimir Putin was the former head of the KGB. He's very militaristic. Um, very much um, sees himself as the macho man, doesn't want to take grief out of anybody, just really kind of does his own thing. Um, he, um, I think, just wants the Israelis to feel comfortable with him on one hand. On the other hand, Russia has been selling billions of dollars in arms to Iran and to other nations as well that we'll tell you about in this prophecy Russia is currently sending naval uh, ships and forces to Syria. Um, So all of that taking place, and in lieu of Ezekiel 38 and 39, I think that kind of news is just very, very, very interesting. And I'll say a little bit more later about Israel and about their security and and, uh, how they feel at the present time, but it's pretty amazing to see all of that kind of thing taking place. When Putin went to Israel this last week, he went to an area of the country where the most Soviet Jews migrated to. You know, he went to where former Soviet citizens live, they're Jews, um, they went there. Um, some of his actions absolutely infuriated a lot of his Muslim allies because he went to the, to, the, to the Welling Wall in Jerusalem 
um, wore the little hat. He did the kinds of things that just absolutely drive his allies crazy because they want to destroy Israel. They don't want to make friends with Israel at all. I think Israel, um, knowing um, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he, I think they're just very, very cautious and very, very guarded about Putin's um, motives and all of that. Ezekiel tells us why they ought to be guarded about all of that. Look at chapter 38, and verses 1 and 2. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, prophesy against him. Now I'm going to, what would have been great is to read chapter 38 and 39, but I don't want to take that much time to do that. So later, um, you can go home and read those two chapters or those four chapters, 36 through 39, all together. And I'm kind of just going to pick some, some details from it here. In verse 2, um, it says that they are to prophesy against Gog. Understand that's not a name. We're not looking for some man named David Gog or Mohammed Gog or something like that. It's actually a title, more like a czar, more like um, a pharaoh, king, president, something like that. But it's not a name. Look at verse 10. Still speaking about this individual with this title, it says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, my thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme. And he's going to talk about this scheme for this massive army from the north to invade. Now, I don't know if Putin's visit to Israel kind of fits in as part of this evil scheme or not, but it's certainly easy to uh, to think that. Um, Josephus was actually a Roman, but he wrote the famous history of the the Jewish people, he says of them, because this prophecy is against Gog, that political leader, and Magog, the land from which he comes, Josephus described Magog as the area where the Scythians went. Migrating from the Middle East, they went and settled north of the Black Sea, north of the Caspian Sea, to the area that we now know as Russia, the former Soviet Union. And so Josephus really ties, you know, those folks to that area of Magog. Now look at verse 15 in chapter 38. Because again, it says that Gog comes from the far north. Verse 15. It says, you will come from your place in the far north, you and many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. Then look at chapter 39 and... Verse 2, it says, I will turn you around and drag you along. I will bring you from the far north and send you against the mountains of Israel. So it's a very clear Magog, that area in the far north. And again, if you look at a world map or globe, and you put your finger on Jerusalem and go just straight north, you come to Moscow, probably a thousand miles or so to the north. Well, Ezekiel gives us a lot of details, and he describes the other nations that will be in this coalition that Gog makes in order to assemble this massive army and invade Israel. Look at chapter 38 and verses 5 through 6. Let's start with verse 4. He says, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed, and a great horde with with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. So this army's on the march, meaning business. Verse 5. 
Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets. Also Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Togarmah from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. You do a little work and you find out who all these ancient nations are today based on the geography of where they were at then. Well, until 1935, Persia was known as Persia. Then it became Iran, the home of President uh, Ahmad Nutjob, who has stated continually that his primary goal in life is to destroy Israel, to wipe them off the face of the, of the, the earth. Thus, all the controversy and concern over Iran's nuclear weapons program or nuclear program. And I shared with you before, many think that Israel will do a preemptive strike this summer or early fall to make sure that Iran doesn't have nuclear weapons. When that happens, a whole lot of things will become very, very interesting in a hurry. So Iran, first one mentioned. Second one, Kush. This is almost always interpreted as Ethiopia, and that's not um, totally incorrect, but I think the real region that's being talked about is just the upper Nile region, maybe Sudan um, being more of the focus there. And Sudan is a Sunni Sunni Muslim nation, very hostile toward Israel, closely allied uh, with Russia as well. Next he mentions Put, and this is the, the area of Libya and Algeria. Again, Muslim nations both deeply hostile um, to Israel and and allied with Russia as well. Next, he mentions Gomer, which is Turkey. And Turkey is very interesting because up until fairly recent years, Turkey was a member of NATO. Turkey was a very close ally of the United States. We still have bases there. Um, They were considered very friendly. But in, in very recent years, Turkey has begun to swing away from the United States, away from Western alliance, and very much closer to Russia. And then he mentions Beth Togarmah. And these are nations that are somewhat difficult to pinpoint exactly, but it's basically an area of Central Asia, which are all Muslim countries with close links to Russia and to Iran. You notice in verse 6 of chapter 39. He says in verse 6 of chapter 39, I will send fire on Magog and on those who live safely in the coastlands and they will know that I'm the Lord. Um, So when all of these nations come from the far north to Israel and God intervenes, he not only will intervene there, but will intervene in their land back home. That's why people will know it's not just Israel fighting, but that God is intervening on their, on their behalf because the destruction won't take place just around Israel, but will also take place uh, in Magog. It's very interesting, some countries that are not mentioned. Number one is Egypt. It's not mentioned in this prophecy as being part of that coalition of nations that will invade Israel. Many have thought until recently that's because of the peace treaty that was signed with Israel back in about 1976. And they have gotten along pretty well since then. But again, if you've seen the news, you know that there was the rebellion in Egypt. The Muslim Brotherhood kind of reared its head. Most uh, Just within the last couple of weeks, the Muslim Brotherhood candidate was elected president in Egypt. He's declared wanting to instate Sharia law. If he does that, there will be no democracy, though he was democratically elected. There won't be democracy in Egypt. 
And the Muslim Brotherhood has, you know, already stated they're rather hostile toward Israel as well. I'm not going to take time to look at it, but you might look at it later. In terms of the news about Egypt, look at Isaiah 19. I just put verses 1 through 4 on your outline, but if you read a little further, it's still very interesting in Isaiah 19. Um, predictions about the kinds of things that will happen in, in Egypt. Iraq is also not mentioned um, in this prophecy. It, its biblical names were Babel or Babylon or Babylonia or Shina or Mesopotamia. But as you know, in 2003, Iraq was liberated. Um, seems to be going pretty well. Many people don't think that it'll be a big threat to Israel, though I think that could change you know, rather rapidly as well. So much of the violence and the problems in Iraq uh, are not from the Iraqis, but from outside influences that have come in. But they are not mentioned. Syria and Lebanon are also not mentioned in this prophecy. Uh, but any army that comes from the far north to get to Israel has to go through Syria and Lebanon to get to Israel. So they, you know, obviously would be at least a, a part of that. And right now it's very interesting because world opinion is uh, very much against Syria, except for the, the Soviets and the Chinese who block all of the lame attempts by the United Nations to do anything about the horrendous things that the government of Syria is doing uh, to their people. So all those nations are not mentioned specifically in this prophecy, but may indeed become part of it um, a little bit later. I think it's interesting to note that Israel right now is, is um, probably as strong and as confident as maybe any time in their history. They are as secure right now as they have been in any time in their 63-year history. The Israeli army or defense forces are widely considered the strongest and the most effective fighting force in the Middle East. The Israeli Air Force... Um, I think pretty easily uh, is considered the, the dominant force in the skies. Um, the peace treaties that Israel has had with Egypt and Jordan um, have held pretty well. The one with Egypt, I think at this point, it could probably be said to be shaky. Um, they're secure because Yasser Arafat is gone, Saddam Hussein is gone, Osama bin Laden is gone. They do not have the Palestinian suicide bombings um, they still occur only occasionally, but not frequently like they did for several years. Rockets are still occasionally fired into Israel from Gaza. But in 2009, Israel basically said, we've had enough, and they went in and showed them that they'd had enough, and, and that really resolved a lot of that, though it didn't totally do away with it. Israel's also, and you don't hear most of this on the news, but they've also just deployed... A, uh, a rocket defense system called Iron Dome that has been very effective for them as well. They also have submarines. They have ballistic missiles. They have an incredible intelligence service. And many they have the, the um, alliance with the United States. Many don't think that's as strong as it ought to be under the current administration. They also are believed to have nuclear defensive weapons. The, the Israeli military has a policy of, quote, strategic ambiguity, end of, end of quote, about whether they have nuclear weapons or not. They will not confirm or deny 
um, the existence of any of that. So they're really feeling um, probably as confident and as strong as and secure as they ever had. But what I want you to note when you go through and read Ezekiel 38 and 39, when this massive coalition of armies comes from the north and goes down to invade Israel, Ezekiel doesn't say a word about anybody else helping Israel. NATO doesn't come. The United States is not mentioned. There's not a word about anybody else lending a hand to tiny little the size of New Jersey Israel against all these huge armies and forces that will come uh, against her. But the one who really does count and does need to intervene does. Look at chapter 38 and verses 18 through 22. Because God will intervene on their behalf. 38.18, this is what will happen in that day. When God attacks the land of Israel, my hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. In my zeal and fiery wrath, I declare that at that time there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beast of the field, every creature that moves along the ground, and all the people on the face of the earth will tremble in my presence. The mountains will be overturned, the cliffs will crumble, and every wall will fall to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the sovereign Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. I will execute judgment upon him with plague and bloodshed. I will pour down torrents of rain, hailstones, and burning sulfur on him and on his troops and on the many nations with him. It will appear that Israel is in deep trouble it will appear that they have absolutely no chance whatsoever. And then God will intervene. There will be a great earthquake that everyone will know about. And he will um, defeat those invading armies of Israel by the sword, by plague, by fire. It will be obvious, I think, to the world, even with our current media, that it's not just Israel doing that, but that there are other forces at work as well. So much so that the armies begin to fight each other rather than Israel because God will cause such destruction and such confusion among them. Why will he do all of that? Look at verse 23. And so I will show my greatness and my holiness and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And look at chapter 39 and verses 6 and 7. He says, I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in safety in the coastlands, and they will know that I am the Lord. I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profaned, and the nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One in Israel. So God will bring about the defeat of those nations so that people recognize him, so that Israel does, and so that the world recognizes that he alone is God. Look at chapter 39 and verses 3 through 5. It talks about the extent of the devastation that God will bring upon them. Chapter 39, verses 3 through 5, and then 12 and 13. He says, Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. 
doesn't sound like that big a deal to us, but basically he's saying, you'll have no weapons. That's pretty serious for an army not to have any weapons. On the mountains of Israel you will fall, you and all your troops and the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and to the wild animals. You will fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. And the magnitude of that destruction is kind of given to us in, in verses 12 and 13. It says, For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them, and the day and the day I am glorified will be a memorable day for them, declares the sovereign Lord. Seven months <clears throat> to bury the dead that are not eaten by the birds and the animals. Absolutely amazing destruction and devastation to Israel's enemies. Then look at chapter 39 and verses 21 through 24. And it kind of gives a greater purpose here for all of this. God says, I will display my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see the punishment I inflict in the hand I lay upon them. From that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. And the nations will know that the people of Israel went into exile for their sin because they were unfaithful to me. So I hid my face from them and handed them over to their enemies and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their offenses, and I hid my face from them. And he goes on in verses 25 through 29 and essentially says the same thing. All this happens so that they'll know. Israel will know. Israel will turn to God. I believe Israel will eventually accept Jesus as the Messiah. And the world will know that God is in control, just as we sang. Look at verse 29. I'm just, with these four verses, very quickly wrap things up. Chapter 39 of verse 29. He says, I will no longer hide my face from them, speaking of Israel, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. God's saying he won't hide from them anymore, but will pour out his spirit upon Israel. I believe so that they will accept Jesus as the Messiah. In John 14 and verse 26, and these are on your outline, Jesus said, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And I think as we hear the news and as we see these kinds of things taking place, the Holy Spirit, God's power, reminds us that he said this a long time ago, that things aren't spiraling out of control, that things aren't crazy, things are just going according to God's plan. And we need not fear at all. In John 8, verse 32, Jesus said, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we keep that before you all the time because it's right up there to your right in that banner. We can be free knowing the truth, free from fear. Um, we, can, we can just be prepared for things that are going to come. When John 14, 26, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, the power of God will come, will remind you of those things. And then he said this in verse 27, and I leave you with this thought, thinking about a crazy world, but God's in control. And here's what Jesus says to every one of us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. God is in control.
Father, I'm thankful that you're in charge, that you're in control, that your plan is coming about. And though it can be pretty scary to watch that in the world, we have peace because we know you're in charge, Lord. We know that you will defend your people, Israel. We know that you have taken care of us through Christ as well. And that one day he will return and we will be with Jesus then from then on. So, Father, help us to share all of that with confidence with people, to know that they need not live in fear, but just know that you're in charge and that your plan is coming about. Father, give us great peace about that and a boldness to share it. In Jesus' name, amen.